computer. Okay, it's happening. Oh, we got smiles. Ah. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Fear and Loving with Ranch. Um, it is uh, fall now in the autumn and we are uh, back online after some time off. Uh, really got our wheels turning as to how we can do this even better and uh, we uh, hope to be coming to you guys live soon. Um, and yeah, so tonight uh, we are kind of going to have a little conversation here to uh, warm ourselves up maybe for the uh, presidential debate tonight that is going on. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've been kind of discussing amongst ourselves as a, as a group of folks that, that are a part of this, uh, these conversations, um, what we could be kind of jumping in back in with. And um, we, we've ultimately fallen on this Supreme Court um, kind of dilemma that we're facing and uh, President Trump's uh, nomination of, of uh, for that, uh, as well as the drama that is ensuing and in, in continuing in Kentucky um, around the death of Breonna Taylor and the um, decisions that were made by the Attorney General there last week. Um, and I think we're just going to go around the horn uh, from Joe Nice, Rue Johnson, Cat Wells, everybody back here, um, fan favorites, uh, and we we're going to kind of go one at a time and kind of say you know why we think this is these are important conversations to be having and um why now's the time i think for me it's like uh these these uh specific instances that we're going to discuss are just you know iterations of this ongoing thing that's been happening you know our entire lives um both the the kind of daunting like strength that this supreme court has and how insane it is that people can uh be on there for life and how they get kind of chosen and how it's all political and before you know it like people are afraid for their rights um and the things that they believe in pretty nuts uh and in terms of the the case in louisville um you know it's just i saw a um retired police officer on the, on one of these news channels, uh, an African-American guy, and he, he was kind of making the case for this, the way things panned out with this um, decision being just kind of the, the right thing to have had to happen, you know? And he, he made this real convincing case, but it really was, it just showed that he and so many others in law enforcement have been kind of just convinced and brainwashed into like, this is just, you know, law enforcement gets off in these situations, you know, for, for the most part, scot-free. So that's uh, my first thoughts. And uh, let's, maybe we'll start with uh, you tonight, Rue. Yeah. All right. Sure, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, and it's really exciting to have the whole gang back together because these are some of the most important conversations that I've had um, all year. So. I agree that um, these are very important topics that we must discuss, the Supreme Court, as well as the injustice within the Breonna Taylor case, because what we, and this is why we also have to talk to each other, because we almost have to become our own news, we have to become our own like opinion sourcers, we have to share within each other so we can really figure out what the hell is going on, because we're certainly not learning it from the authorities, and we 100% are not seeing a full picture on the news and that includes mainstream news and underground because there's just so much we don't know so it took however long for there to be a decision about the brianna taylor case and then we see the news that just released today that said that you know the grand jury wasn't even given instructions directions or the authority to even indict anyone so i think that as we continue to find out more and more about these cases, and also as we continue to see these injustices perpetuated in these disadvantaged communities, it's not stopping. In fact, it's actually, I would say, increasing. So it's so important for us to have these conversations so that we can plan and strategize and also be able to connect many of these very large political events to the very specific things that are happening in our community, like the Supreme Court decision. It is directly tied to 
the death of Breonna Taylor, the way the, the Supreme Court justices are chosen, what the process looks like, who's choosing it, and what their politics are. You can trace specifically all the way down to the murder of this black woman who was sleeping in her bed and one day she was alive and the next day she was dead. Those policies and the protection of those who killed her can all directly be traced back to these um, ancient ways that our society and government has chosen to um, handle the jurisprudence in this country. So it is very important that we have these conversations and share with each other so that we can strategize and hopefully make a change. And um, maybe Kat, you can jump in. And, and Kat, you're, uh, you got a little bit of a, a, a different perspective um, up in Canada, but at the same time, I mean, sometimes I feel like, you know, I, as someone who grew up in the United States of America, it's like, yeah, it's like, it really is like neighbor. You know, I've always stayed to, up to date for the most part around Canada's news and just what's going on. Kind of, if anything, dreaming of a place quite like it. No, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and ours, how can you ignore the, our news? It's just. Yeah, it's hard to ignore. There's a lot more people in the U.S. than Canada as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think you, you put that so beautifully, Rue, because um, I, I really appreciate you having me as well. These conversations are super important because they really demonstrate um, how, you know, we can we can put together sort of the big picture stuff and and really implement it, um, like you said, in, in the way we proceed in our activism, in our communities. Um, and I really just wanted to, to say like the Supreme Court thing, although it doesn't affect me directly because I'm in Canada uh, and I plan on remaining in Canada, uh, it's, it's a big deal because the system that was set up in the USA is the same system that was set up in Canada and that's what's breaking. Um, and it just doesn't work. It was set up as a racist system. That's like point blank. The, the cops were set up as, as uh, you know, slave catchers. And in Canada, they were implemented to, um, to make sure that, that the indigenous folks remained on the reserves. Uh, so yeah, these, these decisions are, are affecting everyone around the world uh, because it's it's demonstrating whether we can break down these systems or not um, and as far as the Breonna Taylor stuff um, yeah I think I think all I want to say right now is just that I want to uh, express my um, gratitude to her family for allowing this case to become as big of a case as it has um, and enduring that, whether they allowed it or not, I guess is a question, but she's been memefied in sort of a way that has been out of good intention because we really wanted a different verdict uh, and we were trying to push for that. But yeah, I just, I just wanna send my love to the family who has had to endure not only losing their loved one, but, uh, but all of the stuff that's happening now, uh, it's, it's gotta be tough. So, yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. That last one, I, I, I think I recognize it, but I don't think about it a whole too much, I guess that, you know, it is, it has to be a marathon, you know, real long haul, like a marathon, you know, and, and for the families and for the, to see that, to have that memory just continuously presented to them across the web on television everywhere. But, you know, hopefully it's not, not for not, you know, and it's, it, it serves a, a higher purpose. Um, and we have, uh, Joe nice of gourmet beats. Uh, we were, uh, enjoying some of Joe's, yeah, some, uh, of the, some of the tunes, some tunes earlier. Yeah. We'll have to do that. We, we'll just have to have a, a music only chat. One, yeah, one of these days, one of these <laughs> days. Yeah. For, First of all, brothers and sisters, or brother and sisters, hello, good evening again. Great to be with all of you. Uh, I think, obviously, the Breonna Taylor discussion is important to have because, once again, it shows, again, the common three words that we've seen throughout not only this pandemic, for the past several years has been Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. How much does a Black life actually matter? And again, I'm going to turn the camera over here. You see this here? This is drywall. This is a wall, okay? Rue, you are a black woman, okay? This wall got more justice than you 
through a black woman or a black woman like Breonna Taylor. So again, this drywall, plaster, paint, maybe some R13 insulation in the background, a couple of coats of kills and some, and some paint, got more justice than a human life. That is a problem. That is a huge problem. And again, how much can black lives actually matter when, again, drywall gets more value than a human life? So I have a problem with Daniel J. Cameron, the attorney general of Kentucky, who has purposely dragged his feet with regards to this investigation. And the only reason he did anything with regards to this investigation was in response to the George Floyd situation. Because George Floyd was murdered by those four cops about a month and a half or maybe two months after Breonna Taylor was shot and killed by Joshua James, Brett Hankinson, Jonathan Mattingly, and Miles Cosgrove. All of a sudden, people started paying attention and saying, wait a minute, what about the Breonna Taylor situation in Louisville? Then, rather than Daniel J. Cameron being proactive, he was reactive. And then he dragged his ass, literally and figuratively, on this case. Then the Louisville mayor, Greg Fisher, and the, and the police chief said, hey, you know what? Let's board up the buildings. Let's barricade some streets in advance of what Daniel J. Cameron is going to tell everybody last week. He tells everybody, and predictably, everybody decided to protest. And there are still protests going around the United States and in other, and in other countries. Now, this ballistics test shows that the, there may be some discrepancies in the police reports and what the grand jury testimony might actually be. And the only testimony that was ever came with regards to the Breonna Taylor situation came from the cops. That's completely biased. So what I, the, the, the biggest dilemma that I have with all of this is how could the city of Louisville pay $12 million for a wrongful death situation, but then find none of the cops actually wrong in killing Breonna Taylor? None of that makes sense. And I need people smarter than me or you or any of us to answer that question for me because I really need some guidance. I need help. I really need help. Right. But, yeah. but the other part to this is the Supreme Court situation with, with the now, in the next couple of weeks, the conservative six to three conservative lean of the Supreme Court. The other three, the three liberal judges being Stephen Breyer, Elena Kagan, and Sonia Sotomayor, two of them were Obama appointments. Now, with Ruth, Gins Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, she's 87 years old. Care to guess who the second oldest Supreme Court judge is, everybody? Anybody, anybody going once, going twice? Uh, the first one you mentioned. Stephen Breyer? That's correct. He's 81 years old. And he's a yeah, and he's a liberal judge. Okay? We don't know what his health situation is, but God forbid something unfortunate happens to him, or he just says, you know what? The hell with this, I feel like retiring. Essentially pulling what Anthony Kennedy did during the beginning of the Trump presidency. The fact that this Supreme Court is now leaning six to three is a complete indictment on not the Trump administration, but a complete indictment and a complete overestimation and quite honestly hubris on the Obama administration. Because Obama should have seen this shit coming a mile away. The second Ruth Bader Ginsburg got cancer, he should have been like, yo, look, we can't take this chance. You got to step down from the Supreme Court, do something else, we'll find something for you to do. That happens. Then he gets, they, they replace, he gets that replacement. He then could have had potentially, the, he should have had the replacement for, for Antonin Scalia because Scalia was, the, the death of Scalia happened during the Obama administration, but then the Republicans blocked the Scalia pick and the Scalia pick ended up being Neil Gorsuch, okay? Then what he should, what he should have probably, that then realistically he could have had another, he could have had those two replacements. Now he wasn't going to get another pick under, during the Trump administration because that just wasn't going to happen. But realistically the Supreme Court should be now if Obama had planned this properly and actually po done politics properly, should be leaning six to three liberal rather than six to three conservative. Sure. Now it's leaning six to three conservative and the oldest Supreme Court judge who is 81 years old is a liberal judge. And let's say for some unforeseen or ungodly reason that Trump gets reelected. 
Here's what I, and again, Rue and I talked about this. I think the next political play that's going to happen, that Trump's going to do probably within his first 100 days or so, is he'll go knocking on, he'll go knocking on Clarence Thomas's door and say, hey, Clarence, you've been the longest Supreme Court justice. You've been here almost 30 years. How about stepping aside and letting somebody else take your spot? Somebody much younger. And personally, I think that replacement, that much younger replacement, is none other than, none other than Supreme um, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel J. Cameron. Because the best way to replace a black face in a high place that's done nothing for black people is to have another black face in a high place that that be something. does Let's nothing. Hope for not. Black <laughs> that sounds like a real twisted possibility scenario. Oh, it's diabolical as shit. And it does make it, sense your thinking on that level. Oh though. yeah, yeah, it's diabolical as hell. But it, me, me being the 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 peace and loving guy that I am, if I can think like this. You don't think somebody that's craven and is fucked oh. up as Donald Trump isn't thinking this way? <laughs> you know, like conflict, human beings are just, we've been at conflict for so long, wars, and I mean, we've gotten really smart about it. Like there's entire, you know, schools of thought around it. I mean, it's very widely available. You can really learn from all the best con fighters and war heroes all at once right now. And so the people that are in war, whether it's, the, the nation states or the leaders of nation states, they have a certain strategy around conflict that is uh, unmatched. I mean, it is like some really deep intellectually, like, you know, you know, you like can't, you know, I mean, if you don't see it coming, if it's something you didn't see coming or it's something uh, outlandish and drastic and dramatic, uh, that's probably how you, you win. And winning has just become this obsession with, the right and the left and the red and the blue. And I mean, it's just all about not only winning today, but winning tomorrow, winning forever, you know? And it's, it's just, and, and that's, I, it makes me think, that's what I, when I think about Russia and China, it's like these two, these places have been trying to win for centuries. Like they're just gonna keep, and they're not gonna win by having it, uh, like a, a conflict, uh, a fight, you know, like a, a violent conflict. They're gonna win with like a digital conflict is kind of what I think that they're currently doing. Um, right. It's just a side thought, but in terms of these, you know, what we're discussing here at the court, I mean, it is, it is that, I mean, it is about, it's always been about winning and you're right. They, the Obama administration like did a, did a poor job of, of having strategy to win, you know, but I, if anything, I liked them because there were moments where it seemed like it wasn't all about winning and it might've been a little bit about doing the right thing. Um, and it, it wouldn't that be nice to have leadership that did that. Um, I want to just say, jump in and say something about the Obama administration. You know, I feel like they got an, an old uh, street term. I feel like they got rocked to sleep. You yes. know, I think that we all, and you know, and, and many of us, myself included, who were complicit in the oh happy dayness of there being a black man and a black woman in the White House and what, what that meant for our country and all of this shit, right? I feel like they got rocked to sleep because there was no anticipation that this could happen. And I, um, when Joe and I had that conversation about how Obama should have asked Ruth Bader Ginsburg to step down, it, it like almost had never even occurred to me that that should have been what happened. It's because we were in this idea of like liberal, you know, utopia. And that's the case. And I think that the reason why she didn't step down is because she very much wanted to like have the first woman president appoint someone to her seat because they thought Hillary Clinton was going to be the person who went. So because of that, and it, it almost seems like furiously, maniacally hilarious that the Obama administration for as fourth right as they had can be about strategy and how smart he was about certain strategies and you know having a a scandal less presidency this was like a complete oversight i think they got rocked to sleep i think that they overshot um their projections on what they thought the next four years would look like no one could have ever predicted this and i think it's a crisis of crisis management of a crisis that hadn't occurred yet you know, so whoever was in his office and around him wasn't ever saying like, what's the worst possible scenario? I got it. Russia interferes with our election and Hillary Clinton loses and Ruth Bader Ginsburg then redevelops cancer and then dies after Trump has already had two different appointees to the Supreme Court. 
I can't believe David Axelrod and, you know, Valerie and all these other people who are, you know, well-heeled and all of that. No, no one thought it. And I, I guess, you know, maybe they should have had Steven Spielberg story chart the world's most, you know, well, events. I don't know. There seems to be this, I've, you know, there's this political uh, situation that's been occurring on the right and the left uh, where there's been, I think uh, uh, there was just so many decades in, in most of their political career where it really was, it was a fight, but it, and it was, it was ugly, but it was pretty like, you know, you kind of could tell if you lost who was going to win and what would they do and it wouldn't be what you would do, but it wouldn't be that far to the, to the right or to the left or whatever. But you know what this last cycle has shown us, and I think we just need to be ready for this going forward is, you know, there is an unpredictableness to who voters now in this world we're in and the world we're going into want and who they would choose. And those people could be outsiders. They could be um, people that are there to disrupt like Trump. And, and, you know, in that way, the lifelong political, like, careers that these that these strategists have had and what they've been able to observe to then come up with their next moves it's not the same anymore and it's really just a different landscape it's more more precarious and um and yeah it's it's a scary thing i mean i i did look up and see that uh, fdr appointed eight supreme court justices eisenhower had five um Rate, you know, there was there was a few situations where people had five or four, and a bunch had three. So, you know, um, it. I guess it's not all that outlandish to think that you know one president or one party could really have the entire Supreme Court uh, stacked in their favor. And and I guess it's just why is that something where I'd like to discuss maybe why what is that why does that make people afraid? Like what what does that fear look like? Why is it that we're even just upset about this or concerned? what are we afraid of uh, when the United States Supreme Court has six or seven or eight conservative justices, you know, and like, why is that different? Can I ask really quick how, um, and then, yeah, and then I want, I think, <laughs> I'm not trying to take this over, but I think, Joe, you need to tell that anecdote about your daughter being nine and like what will happen. Okay. But can I ask, so how many um, has Trump appointed at this point? Two or three? Two. Two, okay. This is going to be his third? This is going to be his third. And Richard, trying to go with what you're saying, FDR appointed eight. FDR also had three presidential terms. So there is that. But the, the, it's it's uncommon for, for a president to have three Supreme Court nominations within a four-year time frame. Obama had three. He was going to have three, but the Republicans blocked but they blocked, um, oh, what's the gentleman's name? Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland, they, they blocked Merrick Garland, but he got the other two. Three and eight years, okay, that's somewhat reasonable. But three and three and a half years? Come on. That's, that's the reason why so many, huh? There should be some sort of like cap on the four year period. That sounds like reasonable enough. And that's, 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 that's the crazy part because for some strange reason we have uh, we have a constitutional amendment about presidential term limits, but we don't have any sort of constitutional amendment on senatorial limits, House of Representative limits, or Supreme Court limits, or federal judge limits. And federal judges are lifetime appointments also, everybody. Federal judges are lifetime appointments. So there needs to be some sort of constitutional amendment for that. And if you remember my, my protest sign, the very first line that I have on my protest sign is, rewrite the Constitution. And it's not just, oh, let's change the 13th Amendment and let's change the 14th Amendment to make sure everybody has equal protection under the law. Or let's, let's change the 15th Amendment to make sure that people actually truly have an opportunity to vote. Let's change, rewrite the whole shit. And I said it in my speech at the People's Power Assembly back in June. Get on Google Docs, rewrite it, do what you need to do, redo it. But Rude, to bring up the anecdote about my daughter, my daughter turns 10 years old in December. The decisions that could potentially be made with regards to this vastly conservative leaning court will affect the way my daughter, when my daughter becomes a grandmother, if she even becomes a grandmother at all, because reproductive rights could entirely be, entirely be up for debate. 
that could be an issue. So my daughter may never actually be a mother or a granddaughter if, if in fact, this Supreme Court has such a conservative lean that their idea of liberty is controlling women's reproductive rights and controlling the liberty and freedom of women and the liberty and freedom of people and the liberty, liberty and freedom of immigrants and black people and indigenous people and people of color. So this is a huge, huge deal. And Richard, you said something earlier on. You said, hey, you know, it's not, it, it's a fight. It, you know, this whole thing is a fight. I don't necessarily think it's a fight. I think it's a fake fight. I think it's more like pro wrestling. If you've ever watched the wrestling match, you know, you see the heel and you see the baby face, you see the bad guy and the good guy, they're tussling in the ring. One person says something bad about another. The other person says something back. Oh, you're this, you're this, well, you're this, you're this. But, but then behind closed doors, behind the curtain, or, or, or in wrestling parlance, the gorilla position, behind all of that, behind the big screen, the big curtain, everybody's buddy-buddy, and they all work for the same company. It's interesting that is, you say that. That's politics in the United States right now. Politics in the United States is pro-wrestling because the Democrats and the Republicans, they all work for the same people. That's corporate interests. Oh, yeah. You're, spring, you're springing some thinking to mind because, you know, some of what you just said reminds me of other conversations we've had where we're just like, we're just in this like, you know, uh, this uh, loop where it's like the Constitution is not going to be rewritten. There's no Google Doc. They're not going to do it. If they don't do it, if we can't figure out a way for them to do it, if that doesn't, if that reality doesn't come to fruition, then we're just going to have this whole, uh, you know, oppression essentially on so many systemic levels continue. That's just the way it's going to go. And so if you're, if we're going to say that they're on the same team, then, because it makes me think, I'm like, why, why would the liberals and the Democrats, why would they be okay with there being a conservative stack court? And like, really, it's like this, uh, the idea of a conservative power right now while so much of the country does is leaning more and more down a progressive uh, way, it makes sense for the democratic, uh, like lifelong corrupt politicians to support in the back room in their own way, because, and that's a crazy conspiracy almost, but it makes sense because if they don't support it, if they don't almost allow it to happen and just support that, then there's a bigger chance that the people, the will of the people is gonna say, your term limits are now, capped these are these changes are now coming like there's a pause there's this future where the, this progressive idea of updating the constitution happens and then what happens these lifelong politicians on the blue or the red they're all gonna their whole livelihood is at stake their their ability to continue being corrupt and filling their pockets and yep. letting the rich maintain their power that stays as long as we're in this crazy back and forth and at this point six Supreme Court justices that are conservative or seven or more. I mean, it just perpetuates this uh, quagmire, ultimately. Is what I it does. It does. And I was going to ask, like, Kat, is there, um, does, is, can you speak on a little bit about, like, does the, how does that work in Canada with, with the Supreme Court? Do you have any idea? Or, like, I just was curious. Off the top of my mind, I don't really. You know, I'm not as familiar with Supreme Court at all. I would like to be so that's a good question. Um, so I can't I don't think I should speak to it because I don't know enough about it. But um, I do know that they're yeah, we do have a Supreme Court. They are also appointed for like, life, basically. Right. Okay, that's, um, that's kind of mostly what I wanted to know. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to speak to with um, in regards to what Joe mentioned is just that like, the real reason why this is so scary is because when you have a conservative stacked Supreme Court, that conservative ideology it just trickles through all of the, the aspects of our lives. Because if it's government, it controls, like you said, women's bodies are now uh, being controlled, which includes the his history of um, you know, sterilization of black women, uh, which is happening right now as we speak with the ICE detention centers, women are being forced to be sterilized. And that is horrendous, like horrendous. So this is not a thing that's, you know, something of the past. And so the, the implications of these uh, conservative policies are, are deep and, and will be long lasting, like Joe said. So 
that's my contribution here. <laughs> I agree with that. And I think it's so important. I'm really glad that you brought up the hysterectomies and the forced sterilization, because this is not a new thing. You know, doctors have been um, manipulating and experimenting on the bodies of indigenous women for literally eons, like since they came over from wherever the hell they came, right? And it, so it's so important because if we have a conservative Supreme Court, I mean, the highest, highest, like these people are like Jesus Christ in this country. They make the decisions about what goes on. The courts are who will protect these policies, you know? And it's so difficult, I think, sometimes for people to see what the like trickle down effect of that looks like um, until, you know, the, you know, until it's something that's like gay marriage or a, a social issue that kind of changes over the years because the social constructs are changing. Now we have Eric Trump on Fox talking about he's a part of the LGBT com community. Like it's preposterous how they gaslight us, you know, um, and how they have actively tried to kill us and then make us think that we enjoyed it or that we gave permission for that. So it is not necessarily that the Supreme Court exists solely to um, advance the policy of conservatives. They want to advance the direct livelihood and the agenda of conservatives in a way that will completely wipe us out. I mean, that's what's happening as these like forced hysterectomies. First of all, the fact that ICE even exists is probably the best representation of the fact that the courts can never be on our side. Um, also because they're pushing through this new nomination before the election also says that voter suppression is gonna be so rampant. It's gonna be so incredibly rampant. And as we all are becoming more aware of these issues, many people who would not necessarily be seen a part of the civic process or the civic unrest are coming out of the woodworks and the right knows it. And so what they're going to do is actively create these principles that will oppress and suppress the votes of these people who are outraged over these things that the court will eventually end up defending. That's why it's important. That's why I'm concerned. That's why all of us are concerned. And that's why we have to, the solution to it has to be to expand the court. I mean, there's no way like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, Trump, and this sounds terrible, but I was watching the news when the uh, news came down about Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying and they caught him right outside of wherever the fuck he was. He was coming from somewhere and then getting on the plane and they asked him, like, what do you think about the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? And you guys, this might sound crass, but I swear his dick got hard. When he found out she died, his face was like, <laughs> like, jackpot you know what i mean that's how they're thinking they're not thinking what's fair what's long-term fair to the companies uh, people that were actively oppressing they're not thinking about that they're thinking about power and and destructive power by any means necessary that's what they're considering the woman wasn't even damn cold on the slab yet and they already knew who they were going to choose it, it, so, it, it, Sorry. And that was a rant. I'm sorry. No, I just. No, 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 no. You know what? You know what, Rue? And you said something that was rather interesting. I don't necessarily think that Trump got overly excited about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death because I saw the, 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 when he was getting off the plane after a, a rally. And when he heard the news, he actually looked some, he actually showed some sort of compassion for the death. Now, the person whose dick I think got hard was Mitch McConnell. He was the one who I think got happy. Trump, I don't know. I don't think Trump was actually like, oh my God, wow, yes, great. Afterwards, he probably was that. But in that particular moment, I don't think he was like, oh, wow, awesome. He was probably like, oh, wow, that stinks. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And he actually, the one instance where I think in this three and a half years, he's shown some sort of empathy was in that particular moment. But the, the vulture that we have as Mitch McConnell, he, he breathes through his mouth. He's a total snake. I don't think he has any sort of compassion in his heart or in his soul for anyone or anything. So I think he was totally excited about this. And he didn't wait for Ruth Bader Ginsburg's body to get cold at all. That body was still warm when he was like, look, let me call Amy Coney Barrett. Yo, what are you doing on Saturday? Oh, you ready to get nominated? Cool. Okay. Uh, we'll, send the, we'll, we'll call you an Uber. See you later. Bye. That's, all, that's how that went down. That's exactly how that went down. So 
I'm, um, yeah, just like everything you, you and Catherine so eloquently stated earlier on, I'm obviously concerned. And, and quite honestly, as a black person in the United States, I am concerned because who knows, who's to, who, who knows what the Supreme Court will do with regards to civil rights? Who knows what's going to happen with the vote, voting laws? Who knows what's going to happen, especially in the middle of this pandemic? And you know I talk about healthcare a lot. The Supreme Court has a healthcare ruling on November 10th to potentially overturn the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Yes, yeah. and, as, and as of right now, there is nothing concrete in place to replace the Affordable Care Act. And there are millions and millions and millions. Sounds like a good, sounds like a good talking point for, for the debate tonight. And just generally, you know, anybody trying to beat the Trump administration and the Republicans in Congress in the next 30 days, 35 days, I mean, is there a better, re I mean, during the 2020 in the middle, as a pandemic revs back up, I mean, it, it's sad for me to think that there are a lot of Americans that it is not the most important thing on in their minds. It's not their the biggest issue in the country to them that uh, to certain voters that the that the healthcare system of the country could be uh, essentially just torn apart and somehow hapshoddily thrown together by a bunch of crooks in, in 2021. Like while it's just like a it's like a it's tragic. It's like a tragic, you know, uh, dystopia. So. Rich, but here's the thing: the healthcare system was put together haphazardly by a bunch of crooks. It was put together by haphazardly by a bunch of crooks. So the fact that it could potentially just be dismantled by by this three-legged stool model of healthcare, and Cat Wells and I, we talked about this on the Joe and Cat Chat series about healthcare. We talked about this: how the Affordable Care Act is a shitty piece of legislation because it's tied to your job, and if you lose your job, you lose your health insurance, and then. What, and quite honestly, and realistically, the reason why the Affordable Care Act is basically on life support as it is now is because of the t Republican tax cuts of 2017 when President Trump basically said, hey, you see that penalty for having, not buying health insurance, that fancy rule called the individual mandate? We're going to make that a zero dollar penalty. So we essentially destroyed the individual mandate. I forgot mandate. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in the Republican tax bill cut. So he destroyed the individual mandate and said, okay, it's $0. So now anybody that doesn't, anybody that doesn't want to buy health insurance, you don't have to pay a penalty for it. So that's the reason why health insurance rates, rates went through the roof because people who wanted to buy insurance had to pay more for it. And the older, sicker people who were already based upon actuarial science already had to pay higher rates for it, had to pay even more for it. So that's why the Affordable Care Act is so expensive now. I, I'm feeling like it's such an important topic and it really is maybe more than abortion, despite the fact that that's so at the top of mind when it comes to a potential conservative court. Mm -hmm. it, it may be the most, the mo the, what we have at most at stake um, as a nation. And it's, it's only, I mean, we could, we should have another conversation about it, I think, um, just about that, just about what healthcare in general, I, I know you guys do it, but we, it should continue to happen because it's not figured out. Um, and uh, but I did want to bring us back around to uh, to, to Brianna Taylor um, as yes. we wrap up here, um, and you know specifically for me, it's like what what is it that that should be could be done? Like so, there's a lot of things we're talking about that we want to see happen with the criminal justice system, with policing, et cetera, that w we want to see done in general and through this fight. But what is it that that could if you know what is it that best case scenario like what's realistic i, I talked to a friend of mine who who was works in politics on the conservative end and he he's he watches this show he's watched us and he does he did remind me it's just like sometimes it to him it feels like what we are discussing and what we're kind of perpetuating and we're, we want to see happen isn't it's kind of maybe a lot of steps ahead so what would be what is it that needs to happen that is possible that what what is it that some sort of bipartisan support because at this point i don't understand how any of these things that we need to see change change if there isn't the ability for people in the center and on the other side of the aisle to agree so what could be agreed upon that would make this particular situation that happened to brianna 
something that doesn't happen again. Versus the first thing is that there, there ha I mean, maybe there are many steps legislatively, but I mean, I don't know. There are not too many steps that need to happen that will make people agree with the fact that, you know, the police should not be killing people. They should certainly not be killing black and brown and indigenous people with impunity. And they 100% should not be getting away with murdering a black woman in her sleep and then trying to cover it up. Um, through all these nefarious means. So until that can be agreed upon, there is no reaching across the aisle because they actually really do want to create systems and continue policies that actively wipe us out. And, and I think that for conservatives, and you know, I don't know who it was you spoke to, but I would imagine he was a conservative, able-bodied white man. It seems like that's the direction we need to go in. But in reality, it's like, yo, listen, I'm not going to spend all day trying to convince you that Black people, that Black lives matter. I'm not going to do that. And if we have to do that, then you are not someone who's even going to consider the real radical shit that we need to do to actually really make a change, which does, in fact, include arresting those police officers and prosecuting them. So the the right the the protests per, per, you know perpetuating and persisting and they're going to keep going and you know we're going to it just seems to be an ethos that we that many of us have adopted and uh, and that that is we saw a little bit of hope around protesting or rioting or just generally good trouble making a difference in Minneapolis little bit uh, I've also kind of heard things that you know it's it sounds like they're not. There, there's big walls up once again there to those ideas, uh, the radical ideas. So, you know, it, how is it that radical ideas so desperately needed, so obviously needed for, you know, through us and so many others, how is it that, that, that they happen? It's, it's, it's like a, it's something I want us to think about, you know, and I think that we, we as people who are frustrated and pissed off and scared and and uh, citizens and educated and connected. And I mean, so many of us fall into that category in this country, even if we don't think we do, but how is it that we, we work out a strategy to get these radical changes enacted? Because it doesn't seem to be enough to mobilize and to, to it's not that, that, I think that is like, that's like the, the ground floor, you know? And it's like, and I think maybe if we can get to a point where that is constant, like there is a constant, nationwide city city specific all over the country there is a constant movement of bodies showing up and protesting and that being organized organizing is what i mean so if organizing to protest is not stopping and it just is there it's not going anywhere we're not getting silenced we're not stepping off if that could stay strong that's like the bedrock but we're going to have to build upon that with with other things because just organizing in the streets isn't going to cut it Unless I'm just being real defeatist there. I don't, you know, I don't know if anyone. Yeah, I can kind of speak to that. Uh, yeah, social movements work because people put pressure on governments. That's the basis of what a social movement is and what it does. So I guess the next step is we need to be in the streets. We still need to be in the streets, point blank, because nothing's being done. But we also need to be in town halls. We also need to do the work to send emails because these things are super important and they do persuade. I've sent many an email to many of, of local, you know, whatever, elected officials, and I get answers all the time. Oh, I can't do what you're asking. I don't have the power to do it. But like you do, you're just not doing it and you're hiding behind your fancy email, you know, that's just whatever. So, you know, another email gets sent, like, we need to do the work. That's the work. And it sucks. And it's boring. And it's, it's, you know, just so frustrating. It's as frustrating as seeing the cops just like, you know, beat our, our fellow people up at, at a, protests like we can't allow that to happen but it just happens and so yeah i persistence is really and i i say that being informed because i have done research on, on social movements so hopefully people can take that with as what it is but thank you cat joe what's that special what's the special sauce what are they what do we got what we got to start adding in there um 
Catherine, you know, you know, to everybody, I want to bring up an example from one of my favorite movies and one of the greatest movies of all time, The Shawshank Redemption. And if anybody remembers in The Shawshank Redemption when Andy Dufresne, the character played by Tim Robbins, starts writing books to the prison board and, say, and writing letters to the prison board and says, hey, look, can I get some money to buy some books for the prison library? And he keeps writing letters over and over and over and over and over again. And then eventually they just send him a check for $100 and they're like, hey, look, they sent you this to shut you up. And then all of a sudden he gets inspired and is like, wow, they sent me $100. Now I'll write two letters a week and three letters a week. And if you remember to, in the movie, they eventually had this big library. It was named after one of the other prisoners, Brooks Hatlin, the guy who eventually hung himself after he left jail after 50 years. They, they, they eventually had this massive library and it happened because of persistence. I'm currently reading this book right now. It is called How to Read a Protest, The Art of Organizing and Resistance by L.A. Coffin. I think what we need to do right now in terms of a solution is neither from a neither democratic nor republican neither conservative neither liberal i think it needs to be outside of the realm of politics i think it needs to be more on a community organizational level i think it needs to be some sort of situation like in the late 60s and 70s where we had groups of people in the streets to protect citizens from police that is i think the situation that needs to take place i think we need to have people whose sole job it is to police the police. There's a song by Boogie Down Productions. There's a line from Boogie, Boogie Down Productions says, who protects the press from you? And, and in reference to that was KRS-One talking about, wait a minute, the cops are here to protect us, but who protects us from the cops? That's what he was talking about in that song probably over 30 years ago off of one of the early albums. It might've been the By Any Means Necessary album, if I'm not mistaken. But my whole point is we need people in the streets to protect us from the police. So if there is an interaction with police officers, we need citizens on patrol to make sure that the police are doing their jobs correctly, that the police aren't reaching for a gun, but they're reaching for a phone to make sure they can find the right professionals to deal with somebody like Rashard Brooks who had a mental health episode. It's interesting how, how again, just to show you the two tales of America, the former Donald Trump's former campaign manager, Brad Parscale, had a an incident with the police where he allegedly attempted suicide. The cops took him to the ground, they tackled him, and then they eventually helped him up. But ultimately, the cops didn't shoot him and kill him. Rashard Brooks had an incident at a Wendy's, a clearly a mental health episode. He goes ahead, freaks out, the cops scare him, and he ends up dead. If there's any... Pure, pure example of how we need a citizen's patrol to ensure that police actually do their job, to not only make sure that black people don't get killed in the street and indigenous people don't get killed necessarily, and other people of color don't get killed unnecessarily, but quite honestly, to make sure that police don't rough up and fuck up people regardless of who they are. Because honestly, what I saw in the videotape, Brad Parscale wasn't doing anything. He had a cell phone in his hand, he had a, and he was shirtless. And he had a pair of shorts and a pair of flip-flops on. He wasn't going to hurt anybody. And you had five meathead, steroided-up, angry police officers that tackled him to the ground and, were, and, and looked as if they were going to choke him. And then they realized, oh, he's white. Let's let him up. And let's, let's tell him what we're going to do. Let's, hey, yo, we're, we're letting you up. We're going to put handcuffs on you. Come on. All right? We need people in the streets and again, these citizens' bands that you have here in terms of listening to police broadcasts and police updates and when something happens, anybody can tap into that information, including me or you, if you have the right radio. We can find that information, we organize people to make, and we film these interactions to make sure that cops know that, hey, look, I'm a public citizen. I, I, I can film any interaction with what is called a public servant, regardless of where it is. That way, if the police aren't embarrassed into doing the right thing, the politicians will have to be embarrassed for the police to force the police to ultimately do the right thing. Well, my, I'm, I'm gonna kinda, my, my kinda last words on it are gonna be that, and I've had a lot of, we've, we've all had this discuss, these discussions, I've had a few at this point um, on camera and many, many off and more to come. And, 
you know, I keep hitting the same general like wall of uh, these systems being kind of at a standstill and just not feeling like they're at a log jam rather. It doesn't feel like they're actually going to flow the way we need them to. Um, and, but, you know, out of a hundred Senate seats, what do we got? Uh, 35 or up for grabs in the next month and a half. And, you know, there, there is this reality where these people that you're, that are, you were talking about that, you know, we organize around public servants, the right public servants, the ones that we can trust that will run on anti-corruption platforms, maybe run on uh, more center or just generally non, uh, left or right platforms. That sounds nice to me. Those are the kind of people I, I like to, to learn about. But if we had more of them uh, and, and we were able to present more of them in these races for Senate seats or in these races for House seats, you know, in one, in two years, in four years, in, in, in eight years, we could see with enough elections, with enough of those people and enough uh, people showing up to vote for them, we could see a huge uh, shift in what the Senate and what the House looks like. And I think that is way more important in terms of how this all this logjam gets freed up in America um, to see the right leadership in those places. And, you know, so we're going to need to see um, more happen on a local level. And I've been I've said it many times. And I mean, it's much of what we're, we're we've all just discussed in terms of solutions. It's like we got to and it can be hard because the macro of the United States, the executive branch, the debate tonight, all the big you know, the four year election, like the two year, like it's all, that's all so huge and so much, it's so dramatic and scary and it's just frustrating and it sucks the life out of you. And you forget about your local community and your local leadership and your ability to affect change out in your community and get out there. And, and if, you, if we can make sure that we have the proper representation in our local communities, then we can make sure we ultimately get the proper representation um, in our house uh, representatives in our Senate representatives. Um, I hope. I, and I mean, th it's just, I, I just see this taking a while, like, like too long is kind of what I'm afraid of is that in America 2020, everything that's come before today, everything that's happening right now, how long it could take the way it's stacked and built and the corruption that has just got a stranglehold over it, it could be too long. And then it's like, what, what, what is that, uh, what does that implosion look like? You know, and we, we, I think we just, the majority of Americans care about each other and care about other people and don't want to see people hurt, you know? So, um, well, we're going to, we're going to, I'm, we're going to wrap it up. I'm just going to let each of you kind of, um, say where everybody can find you. So, um, Joe, let's start with you. Actually, Rue's got to go. So Rue, you go first. Sorry, my bad. Sorry. Okay, cool. I am online on the internet at the perfect Rue, R-U dot com it's a work in progress my little personal website but check it out the perfect .com. my twitter is the perfect ru my instagram is the perfect ruux um and i'm on facebook as rue johnson and i am always raising hell on the streets so thank you guys for this amazing opportunity and incredible conversation as always yep we love you thanks for being here see you soon peace all right uh, we'll go with cat I just like picking the square, you know, I'm like, which one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm most active on my Instagram, which is at catwells22, which is K-A-T, wells22. Um, yeah, that's probably the best place to find me is on my, on my Instagram. And uh, thank you again for this conversation. There's so much more to be said, but yeah. yeah really hard yeah. to cut it off. I'm like, oh man, how do I start getting it wrapped up? I don't I know. know. And then, and then yeah. I forget, I don't think ahead about wrapping it up. I'm just like, I like to like wait and see where it all kind of falls for me. Um, That's fair. What if, are you guys still doing your show or together? Or you do one separate yeah. do one on your own as well, or do you just do one with Joe? We do the Joe and Cat Chats. Uh, we release an episode every Tuesday. So check us out on Instagram. We use the hashtag Joe and Cat Chats and that's cat with a K. And we also have our own Instagram page that just has the episodes on it, which is oh. also just at Joe and Cat Chats. I didn't so, know. I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, wait just a second. Can I just get Joe and Cat Chats? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh. So yeah, every Tuesday we, we release a new episode. So. And you guys can just, it's just the two of you, right? You still, Instagram doesn't allow you to have more than one person on those. Yeah. No. You think they could figure that out? Mm, yeah. Four. Whatever. It'd be easy enough. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Joe, what what have you been up to? I haven't. You know, you just you're a dynamo. <laughs> I always I just I just imagine like months away from seeing your face, which has been too long. It's been a minute, man. It's been a minute. What? Been a minute. First what of all, um, thanks for putting this on again. Obviously. Um, <sighs> Yeah, it's been different. I mean, I just moved. I moved to Carborough, North Carolina. So I'm here now. I'm in North Carolina. I'm about 10 or 15 minutes away on, by car from my daughter. So that's good. Um, awesome. Good to hear, man. You know, there's... When I was DJing, one of my MCs that I haven't seen, Juakali, in years, he, he said something at one of the shows years ago, back in the Billboard days at Club Love. You've been to Club Love in the basement. Past the Fraggle Rock room, you go down just little, yeah you, yeah, you know what it is. You know what it is. There was something he said one night, this was probably about 15, 16 years ago. He said, We are here and now, and it's now or never. And he said that over and over and over again during the night. I'm, I'm drinking weasel juice, and that's a whole other concoction. We'll talk about that off air. Weasel juice, it, it was classic. But he said, we are here and now, and we are now or never. And when I think about where we are right now in this time and date and space and place, quite honestly, we don't have time to wait, Richard. We don't have time to wait, Kat. It, we are here and now, mm -hmm. and it's now or never. Um, famous, I think it was famous Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir once said, if not now, when? If not me, who? Why not us? Why not now? Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you went there with it, man. I needed to hear that. And I'm sure so many others did as well. And, um, Winston you know, Churchill once said, now is the time. Why not now? It's yeah. We should, if only we had more mindfulness strength out there altogether, it would, it would be, it would be huge. Life really opens up, really looks a lot. Everything smells differently. looks different when you're like in the moment, you know, and you're not, and so I think in the context of what we can do to change things, we do need to, to work uh, now and, and continue to see that, uh, you know, those things that we, that we care most about and we dream, dream for, we got to get it, we got to get it now. But uh, I'm going to plug fear. So fearandloving.com, we're, we're really cranking away on it. We're building it out. Um, and we've got a, we've, we've got a team coming together of journalists. So we are, you know, you can reach out to me um, uh, at the uh, fear and loving Facebook page or uh, real fear and loving on Instagram. Um, also Rancher Guerra on Instagram and um, you know we are looking for for content um, and I, I think I might I might look at that slogan there um, you know we are here and now and and we're it's now and never and it's now or never we're here and now and it's now or never I, I mean it's, it's so perfect because that's what that's where we are right now we don't have time to wait I mean you're a fan of the 80s 80s music Kenny Loggins had a song called this is it and then the tagline in this song, this is it, the waiting is over. He said that 35 years ago. Wow, that, that just the waiting is over in the context the of waiting it. Waiting is over. Because yeah. it's all been about waiting. And that's been the like, the, the, the theme of the millennials life, especially is just, we've just been waiting for that dreamy, progressive reality to just kind of happen. Yeah, just, just go, when, you, when we're all done here tonight, just go on YouTube and type in Kenny Loggins, this is <laughs> it. Plug and, in and, Kenny Loggins. And, 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 uh, no, I'm plugging Kenny Loggins. I mean, you can tell, yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is where we're going with this, right? Next I'm going to be talking Caddyshack and all the other songs that he had from all those other 80s movies. But just go ahead and read the lyrics to that song. Read the lyrics to that song, this is it. Right, and, and, and it's more than just the hook, the waiting is over. There's some deep shit he talks about in that song that you don't necessarily think is applied to politics. I'm gonna look it up. But, but dig into that, let that one sink in, let it marinate, and then next time we have one of these conversations, we can talk about the virtues of Kenny Loggins and his lyricism and how brilliant there, it, There's right quite there. an under, underground of Kenny Loggins fans. Um, <laughs> Kenny Loggins is that dude. Cat is, she's got a weekly, <laughs> chat and zoom conference about him she's like no no it's no not. no she's not, not me no no <laughs> no maybe not <laughs> well um happy uh enjoying your ride if, i mean i don't know if you're gonna watch a cat but you know every american's gonna watch tonight's debate and we're just gonna ride around a little bit and it's kind of like yeah. watching your favorite sports team lose 
Yeah, I might just watch the highlights. I can't really go through that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have a fat bowl very yeah. soon. Just yeah, yeah. For real. But okay. So we will um we're going to be we're going to be chatting about this a little more often. I think I figured we kind of needed a breather after that summer leading up to this election cycle here in America and mm. uh, I think it's people do need to need to hear and need to I mean Oddly enough, some of the people listening to this right now may in America may not vote. They may not want to vote. And um, AOC was saying, you know, what she was in, encouraging people to do. AOC, my uh, alum from BU, friend, of, old friend from from school. Uh, we uh, she doesn't know her friends, but we were in class. <laughs> <laughs> I saw her in an elevator at a Bernie Sanders rally, or like the elevator opened, and I was like, uh, I just didn't even want to go there with it. But um, nice. but she nice. was she was encouraging people to to go and find five people that are near you that that are on the fence about voting that may not vote and yeah. go and get those conversations going. It's not really about having a conversation with a Trump person. Like, what is that gonna do? There's a yes. lot of people that you can talk to um, that are in America that need encouragement to go and, and vote at all and tr uh, try to save, save our, our country. <laughs> That's exactly what I would wanna say about the social movement stuff too. Like I had I had time, um, I would have outlined that like I'm on several group chats. I have a few people that I text every time I send an email to a local representative. Like you also need to send this email. Like you need to do the, the community care thing for your activism too. Cause we're not all out in the streets. Yeah. We all need to be participating, but you don't have to be out on the streets. Many of the people that I, um, are on a group chat with, um, are immunocompromised. They can't be protesting every week or whatever so yeah so th there's a lot to be said about that because you get notifications about the dumbest cat doing piano tricks or whatever why are we not exactly. just notifications reminding yes. us that we have civil li civil duties like, yes exactly be as invasive as you like everything else is invasive you know so you might as well just who's you know no money in that i guess maybe yeah you know lose yeah. it but um <laughs> all right love you guys yeah, you too. Care. Thanks Bye. for word up. Peace.